Hey everyone, welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast. My name is Jason Houtsma, and with me as always, Mr. Daniel Ornelas. What is up, Daniel? Hey, hey, what's happening, Jason? How you I, doing, man? Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm just glad I got a hold of you because you were out on the road and uh, <laughs> we, were, we were scheduled to go a little early earlier and then uh and i couldn't get a hold of you what what happened <laughs> so we're doing rehearsals at the moment uh for jingle ball which is like a big pop kind of tour christmas tour and uh and we our rehearsal started yesterday at 11 so i went for a run today thinking awesome i've got an hour left and we'll sit and we'll have a podcast and we'll chill together and then uh i was literally sitting editing videos and uh, I got in my underwear, just to say that. <laughs> and then I got a, a, a text saying, where are you? We're all in the car. <laughs> Those are my favorite texts. So literally, I was like running around, ran downstairs without shoes on and jumped in the van to get over to Third Encore to do our rehearsals here. So here I am. <laughs> I, love, I love that that's your favorite kind of text. Like you've gotten that plenty of times. Yeah. <laughs> where are you? We're all in the car. <laughs> I want to get a t-shirt made like that. <laughs> so good, man. Well, I'm glad you made it uh, fully clothed and everything. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I made it to the podcast. Well, um, <laughs> today uh, today's going to be pretty fun. I don't really have any good kind of segue for that at all. So. <laughs> no, I don't think there is a good segue for that. Just let us find, just tell me who the guest is and we'll forget that ever happened. <laughs> well, uh, today we have George Ross, who is the CTO over at CCLI. You may have heard of them. They license a oh, lot yeah. of churches. And um, I promise this is not going to be a boring podcast about licensing because nobody wants to listen to that, including George. That was the first thing he said. He goes, I'd love to come on the podcast. Please don't make me talk about licensing. <laughs> <laughs> Good news. So uh, so we so we get on there and uh, we talk about a lot of different things. Just It's interesting with all the data that CCLI has, you really see a lot of trends in how things go. And so we just kind of look at the trends that have happened in worship music over the last you know, however many years, which uh, it's changed pretty dramatically. And so it's just kind of interesting to hear that conversation, hear how things have changed and kind of ask ourselves kind of those important questions of, well, you know, how do how do we want to go about finding music? How do we think about it? How do we think about our church? How do we think about playing for our church? All those sorts of things. So it's a great conversation. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. All right. Well, let's get going. Hey, George, welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Well, I, uh, talking with you at CMS, I, I didn't realize discussions on stats could be so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I love numbers. Um, and not for the sake of loving numbers, because there's, there's a story that can be told um, through that data. Because really, you know, um, CCLI, when we look at this data, um, it's really telling a narrative about what churches are doing, um, kind of as as an aggregate. So uh, for me, it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. What are what are some of the biggest surprises that you see when it comes to information coming across the wire? Um, I don't I don't know. You know, I've been at this for nine years at CCLI, so um, we just see trends. But I think it's misconceptions. Um, that I that I have the opportunity to educate people that they kind of get like the big eyes with and uh, they're like, well, I didn't realize that. So, um, you know, CCLI licenses a few churches uh, <laughs> around the world. Uh, one statistic that always takes people by surprise is um, that almost 80 percent of the churches that we license are 200 uh, members and below. 
Mm-hmm. So the majority of churches in the U.S. are are small churches, um, which is which is really a lot of people think that you know there's just it's all these big churches, right? Um, and then when you dig in the numbers, the the experiences there's just a lot of small communities of people. Um, the vast majority of worship leaders when we when we survey are are volunteers, they're unpaid, and the worship musicians are is is, is a volunteer force as well. Um, so. A lot of people, I think, also find comfort that, um, you know, the church that they're in looks like a, really the majority of churches that are in, in the country and around the world. You mean you mean we don't all look like Hillsong and Elevation? No, I mean, <laughs> there's 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 nothing wrong with that. I mean, they they have a place, and I think they serve. Um, you know, they show kind of uh, what worship can be um, in certain contexts, right? And and it, it definitely is aspirational. Um, but it, it, the reality is. Um, is, is a lot different, right? It's, uh, you know, I think there's still plenty of soundcraft boards uh, out there <laughs> with three broken faders and uh, a lot of worship teams just, you know, trying to get through a set list on Sunday morning. So, so you've been at this for a while. Like, how, how have you seen the way that we digest worship songs, the way that, that we bring them into our church, the way we find them? How have you seen that change over time? Yeah, I'll use personal experience for this. I mean, I, when I started playing worship, I mean, I was a teenager. Um, that was the deal with my mom. Um, if I was going to get guitar <laughs> lessons, is that I would play on Sundays, um, and uh, it was an acoustic guitar and some vocals. I mean, uh, that's the way it was. But when you learned a song back then, um, the experience was uh, you'd get the book out and you'd have to play the song to figure out if you actually like the song. There was no reference album. I'm not going to go to YouTube, right? I mean, most of them weren't even recorded. Um, so, you know, that, that, you know, even I think probably, you know, in the 80s and 90s, largely that was the experience um, for the way people discovered worship songs and the way they played them. Um, it was the sit down behind the piano, sing it, and that was the only version of the song that you knew. I mean, if you, you contrast it with today, right, how are people discovering worship? Well, I mean, it's Instagram, it's YouTube, it's, you know, Spotify, it's iTunes Music, it's all these digital platforms. It has a huge visual component. I mean, and that's, that's relatively new, um, the visual aspect of worship. Um, I mean, for a long time, we knew what they sounded like. I mean, starting with like Hillsong and, 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 and Maranoff and things like that, we knew what they sounded like, but we never knew what they looked like, um, except maybe an occasional photo when you see like on a CD cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's changed. Um, and the interesting thing, I don't think the church has changed that much. I mean, most churches are still small churches. Most churches are still volunteers. Um, you know, the skill set within those churches is definitely a mixed bag. But I think the way that they experience discovering um, has changed dramatically. Um, I think there's, you know, there's positives and negatives that come along with that as well, though. You know, we've talked a little bit about like a culture of comparison, right? How that has changed. And we, we spend a lot of time on worship artistry talking about, hey, you bring your best. You don't bring this other person's best. And you're, if you're not there, that's okay. You can still work your way to different things. And like you bring your best at the time. Um, yeah. How do you feel like that affects uh, how churches feel about their own music? Um, I think it's probably had a huge impact. I mean, I mean, I remember, I'll, I'll use myself again. I remember when I was playing when I was younger, and when I played that song on that Sunday, that was the best version of that song I've ever heard in my life. Right? So that was my context as a musician um, for, for what that song was. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, then you've got CDs and then you started comparing yourself to CDs, um, but you didn't know what it looked like. Right. And now I think, you know, where we're at is I think there's I can't even imagine being a worship musician coming in today where there's an expectation, like, how am I supposed to dress? What guitar am I supposed to play? What my pedal board is supposed to look like? Right. <laughs> um, I better have some Strymons on there or, you know, I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I got post companies just target the church at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to have some Strymons on there because when I post the photo of, of my shoes and my guitar and pedal board on Sunday, it better look good. Um, so, um, you know, I think I, you know, I think as worship musicians, we all strive for excellence, right? We'll never achieve perfection. I think if you even talk to the biggest guys, you know, they're always they're always chasing. I think as musicians, that's I think part of what drives us to practice, to rehearse, to get better, right? We always should bring our best. But, um, you know, I do think there's a downside to having so much information uh, because, again, what I said about, like, there's the version I played, um, you know, years and years ago. We won't talk about how long ago, but that was the best version of the song. Now, today, you know, um, you know, the church I play with, um, you know, it's streamed and then I can immediately go back and listen to it. Go, oh, man. Um, <laughs> right. And that's it's a, it's a whole different kind of pressure. I think in some ways it's. I think in some ways it drives us to be better, but I think in the other way, there's the unhealthy comparison part, part where you don't feel that you've, you've done a good enough job. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that part could potentially not be healthy for, for worship teams and musicians. Yeah. How do you find that balance of, of, yeah, like pushing and wanting to be better, but at the same time, not letting it paralyze you and go, oh my gosh, but my guitar tone was bad. Like I remember, you know, we had a sound guy when I was a kid. Same kind of deal, you know, it was, it was also a while ago and, uh, but you know, he would record us and he'd be like, check it out guys. And he'd put it in and you just hear everything that was wrong with it. And I think a lot of times with live music, when we try and turn that into, uh, try and turn that into something that we can listen to over and over, it can be like almost debilitating. Like, well, I can't do that because, because I, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's going to sound or this, you know, this one guy's a little bit out of tune or whatever, things that you don't necessarily even hear in the room but you hear with dry signal. How do you keep from being paralyzed? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a mindset. And, you know, for me, it's come with just doing it for a long time. I, I don't even know how a younger musician would process this, right? I had to get comfortable with, like, given the busyness of life and family and kids and, and job and everything, I know that I can improve as a musician, but I'm not going to be a vastly better musician, than I already am today, right? I can make small improvements, right? And I had to get comfort with the, I might not be the best musician on the platform, but I can be the most prepared musician on the platform, mm -hmm. right? So there, there's that component of it. And then understanding why you're on that stage. I think that's, I think that's the part like, you know, for people to hear today is why are you on the stage, right? What are you there? You're, you're not there to like make an awesome online product or to be like the album. Your job is to get people vertical. Right. You know, you're kind of there to lay the groundwork for what's going to God wants to happen on a Sunday. Um, and I think that's kind of kind of the downside of some of the technology and all the comparison side is you, you lose track of like you're in the room. And you know what? No matter what mistakes you made, if people entered into worship and they encountered God, that was amazing. You were the best musician for that day at that time. If, if people are encountering God in that time, no matter what, and trust me, I go back and look at playback, no matter what's on playback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I, you know, I also think, you know, it also helps push me, but I mean, that's a maturity thing. Um, you know, I know I can do better. There's things like, you know, that I should work on, but, um, I think that comes with maturity. I don't, you know, I feel, you know, for younger musicians, that's hard. It's a lot of expectation that's put on people about, I need you to be like, pick a YouTube video off YouTube, mm -hmm. right? This is what we should sound like. Not the, you know, the experience I had when I was a musician, like that was the best version of that song I've ever heard in my life. We were amazing. Um, yeah. So I think that, that that's an, that's an interesting change has happened, happened over the years. I mean, um, I mean, being with CCI, you have this benefit. I mean, this year is actually 30 years for us being in business. Um, and so we've been doing a little bit of kind of, you know, little, you know, you hit an anniversary, you do a little bit of reflection, like, you know, how has the world changed from 1988 when CCI started to where is it, where is it today? And, you know, there, and we were talking before the podcast, you know, you look at like even songs and, and other trends, um, the world has changed. I mean, 30 years ago, our, our top charts were largely songs written by individuals, um, and they were faster, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I don't think when those songs were written, you know, the thought of a Christian music industry per se, um, especially in worship, uh, was in their head. Um, and I'm not saying that it's bad that songwriters get paid. I think that's a great thing. But, you know, today, um, you know, it's, it's a different world. Um, and you look at the charts today, it's, you know, most of the songs are co-writes. Uh, they're a lot slower. Um, you know, I don't think there's, I mean, sure, there's going to be an exception, but in our top songs, I don't think anything pokes its head above 100 BPM um, in kind of what's popular. So um, we, we've seen all those changes as well. So it's been interesting to kind of, uh, kind of just see how, even what songs the, the church is using, how those songs are created has changed over the years. Why do you think they've slowed down? Just out of curiosity. Um, I mean, I have to take the CCLI hat off because, you know, obviously what we do is a reflection of what the churches are playing, right? right. We don't like, you know, we don't promote anything. We're just kind of there to be a reflection of what's happening at the church, church at large. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could have a hypothesis, you know, maybe they've become more reflective and introspective mm -hmm. versus, you know, um, exaltation. I mean, you know, but then you can find 10 songs that are popular that, that are contrary to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, it's what the churches are playing. I mean, largely. Um, so I think there's a whole podcast on just the, you know, why do churches pick the songs that they do? So let's talk about production for a minute, because, you know, what we do at Worship Artistry is we take these hugely produced songs and then we break them down into these five piece arrangements uh, so that people can actually play them and play them well. Right. Um, but like the way, you know, like you were talking about how like it used to be like you'd get these like sheet music basically and figure out the song and go from there. You know, now there's all this production around everything. Everything's glistening and pretty and has like seven layers of synths on it and six guitars and, you know, loops and tracks and all kinds of stuff around it. Um, how do you feel like that affects how people play those songs on a Sunday? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I was actually having a conversation with kind of uh, another songwriter um, 
this last was it last weekend, um, talking about kind of the unique challenge songs in in worship have, and I think it gets back to a little bit what we were talking about. Uh, with why churches select songs, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, songs can have all this production, and we talked about the expectation component of it, but at the end of the day, right, a church is going to select a song if it connects with, connects, mm-hmm. right? Connects with them as a worship leader, and congregationally it connects, and it and it moves people, right? Um, and um, I think the, the hallmark of a great worship song, um, and one that connects with church... That's great. We have all these tools that can help you be better, and there's all this production side of what you can do. But at the heart of it, you know, can a worship song, and, and this is not the most graceful way to put it, can it endure the average worship team? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, but you know what I'm saying, right? Because it, this, the song has a job to do, and the job is, is, is to connect with people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to convey the heart of what that song is and and connect in the context of that service. And uh, when we talk about it's a volunteer workforce, um, you know, in terms of volunteer musicians, volunteer worship leader, right? And they all have wives. I mean, I'm a great example of it. You know, I'm running around taking kids. I got teenagers and I'm driving everywhere and I'm working and, you know, then you're squeezing in practice and you're, you know, you know, it's literally, it's a fair, a, a prayer of faith that just let me remember all my parts on Sunday. Um, <laughs> And yeah, a great song is going to be able to to be able to convey the heart of what it's about, um, even in the midst of um, all of that stuff uh, of what a worship team can do. Now, so let's get back to that production part of it. Um, you know, I think a, a great song doesn't need it. Um, you know, we we had talked the other day about you, you saying, you know, when you kind of in what you do, when you boil it down to just your parts, it feels like the song is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you take away five of those guitars and six of those synth parts and uh, a percussion track, and you know, is the song still there and can it can still convey the heart of what it's about? Um, so I, th- I think that that's the uh, I think that's kind of at the at the bottom of it. Um, are the songs connecting and uh, even in their simplest form, uh, can they connect to people? Right, which you know, I, I I heard somebody. It might have actually been you, but um, it was when we were at CMS. Somebody mentioned they were talking about man. Actually, I think it might have been Benji Cowart, but he said something along the lines of, you know, it, we used to have content, and then like production is re- was really secondary. But in order for us to hear music now and actually be attracted to it in the first place, like production almost takes center stage. And then it's kind of like, well, is there a song underneath that production that we can that we can turn around and use? Because we've got um, because that's how we're used to hearing music, right? Like at the end of the day, it comes out on the radio or it comes out from whatever resource that you hear it from. But there's still like if it's if it's poorly produced, like they'll turn it off. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy that was a that um, like an A&R guy. And, you know, it used to be like, yeah, just send us a, send me a, an acoustic demo. I can hear the song through that. Now you write a song in a room and if it doesn't show up with full production for the A&R guy to hear it, he's not even going to listen to it. Yeah, no, I think it was Benji because he was mentioning that in that songwriter intensive, right? On Thursday, if you were, were in that, talking about the importance of like, you know, a song like in the pop world, as long as it's got a good hook, right? And it's got a, like a beat, it, it can actually get some life right? Um, in, in the pop world. Um, and yeah, you know, you've got really, 
you know, a couple seconds to grab a listener nowadays uh, because they can, they can skip, right? Or they can go to the next thing on their playlist in YouTube or Spotify. Um, so, I mean, yeah, production is important. And yeah, I think as, I think as practitioners and musicians, you always want to have the best representation of what you can do. But I think we're getting to the difference between like, you know, what is a, what's someone hearing as a produced track to versus like, what's our ability to reproduce something live? Um, so I also think, you know, there's, I think there's a missed opportunity for a lot of worship teams, even in the context of that, to make songs their own. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, you don't see, you see, you don't see a lot of people, um, looking at a song like as a framework to kind of embellish, um, which, you know, for me as a musician, you know, sometimes you feel like you had a little more, a little more artistic freedom, uh, within the context of a Sunday, um, make my rehearsal a little easier. <laughs> well, it honestly though, like that's, that's an, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to point out as well, because I've had, I remember showing a guy one time, like when we were first starting worship artistry and I, he was, I was just showing him, Oh yeah, this is what we're doing. And he goes, Oh, that's why the music at all the churches sounds the same. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, cause that's not the, cause that's not the vision. Like I, I always look at it as I want to learn how something was done so that I can see that representation of the song. But at some point I want to make it my own. You know, and but when you're having uh, when you're having worship teams that only get together, you know, once a week, or you might be on a team with like you might not even be with the same people all the time. You know, like if I'm in a band that I that I go and I play all week, I'm going to play with them very differently than I play with people that I play with once a month, mm -hmm. right? So you can't necessarily always trust that, but the desire is always to like become an expert at one thing, so then you can like be artistic with it like we are worship artistry i was trying to like yeah. oh, but, I'm, but, I, but i can't get that note in there it's like well does that note really matter like figure out if that matters or not you know uh i mean well i mean i'll pick on a particular song for that for me it's like that intro part and ever be trying to get that high e string on that arpeggiate yeah. and you arpeggiate that part right. <laughs> you're like yeah yeah i'm not gonna play that i'll play the other ones <laughs> and and guess what <laughs> nobody's gonna know that nobody's gonna know the difference no, thank you, Strymon. No one's going to hear it. Um, <laughs> little delay and little shimmer reverb. It's all, it's all good. Um, so, no, I, you know, I think there's a couple factors in that. I don't think it's like, you know, I, you know, I know a lot of the guys, you know, like yourself and other people who create resources for worship team and all, all of them come out of wanting to serve other worship musicians. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think what happens is, I don't think anyone in particular is putting the expectation on them. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think there's like the pastor saying, you have to sound exactly like the record of the worship leader. You're, you know, well, hopefully the worship leaders aren't saying we have to sound exactly like the record. I think it's just like an unspoken, honestly, kind of like the, this is just what we see and this is what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't even know how to go about like addressing it kind of like, you know, how do we bring you know, a little more creativity back. And I'm sure there's bands that are like listening to this going, now, man, we just do whatever, which is awesome. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of churches that are like, nope, just because of time constraints or my confidence as a musician or all of those underlying reasons, they might just say, you know what, I'm going to stay within my lane. I'm going to do this thing. Right. You know. 
Yeah, there's just you just want to make sure that you're still bringing joy to your play. You know, there's like a there's like a joy and there's a joy in serving the congregation. That's the main thing that we're doing, right? There's a joy in mm -hmm. worshiping God, but there's also a joy in really feeling like you own a song, and that yeah. you're able to actually express yourself within that within that song and actually take that song. But like you were saying, if the bones of that song are good, there's there's room for that. Yeah, I think I mean there's a lot of ways to interpret a song, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we even see that within within worship a lot, right? It's, you know, if it's a popular song, it's going to be recorded by like everybody's going to do a version of it. <laughs> um, right? We won't call out names here, but I mean, there's a couple songs that have been re-recorded a few times. <laughs> um, you know, there might be slight, slight arrangement changes, but... Um, yeah, I think there's I think there's room for more creativity overall um, in, in what we do, and you're, I think it gets back to the joy part, and I think it also gets back to a recognition of you as a musician, right? How yep. can you? I think a great way to put it is, how do you not become a distraction, right? Right. Um, in the best possible way, right? Because if you're struggling, it's your body language is going to show it, your countenance is going to show it. Right. If you're freaked out about being able to nail like, you know, the, when the dropout and it's only the guitar part. Right. right. <laughs> uh, um, or it's the drum break or whatever, you know, um, you know, you know, how do we have conversations as worship teams that kind of like be real with each other about what our capabilities as musicians are and what our capabilities as teams are and make the main thing the main thing, which is like, you know, we're here to help people, you know, encounter Jesus. Right. That's it. Songs are songs are a vehicle for that. Absolutely. Well, George, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's it's a fascinating conversation. I always love kind of looking at wor the worship culture world as a whole, and uh, and you bring a really cool perspective to that. Thanks for taking the time with us. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Man, it's hard to believe that eighty percent of all the churches are two hundred people or less. It's uh. It's quite incredible. And in fact, it, it does make some sense to me since I've done some of these workshops around the country. Uh, you know, and when you start talking to the folks about what their worship team looks like, sometimes it's like we have bass guitar and timbales, or we have, <laughs> you know, we have electric guitar and a lady that plays the fiddle. And then you go, okay, my gosh, this is amazing. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's some, maybe some bigger churches that always say, hey, why don't you guys do this or that on worship artistry or make it more technical or more difficult for me or it's not challenging enough. Uh, but the reality is that most of the folks that, you know, get onto our, our site are, are kind of weekend warriors that are really not shredding their instruments every day. They kind of get a chance to jump in there and they want to serve the best way they can. And so that, that kind of compromise of saying, we'll teach you the whole song like it is on the record, but then also giving you enough room to not be able to panic to death that you don't know the 75 uh, mixolydian licks that are coming through the end of the, the song. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see that and, and know how to serve those folks well. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting how he, the word that kind of jumped out at me is when we talked about Elevation and Hillsong and that sort of thing. He said, those are great aspirational ideas, kind of that trying to create that scenario, you know, the aspirational worship where it's like, wow, just everything is clicking and everything is going. However, you know, that's, that is for a lot of people, that's a really unrealistic picture of worship, but that doesn't at all mean that it's not like that idea of like, there's good worship and bad worship. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with leading on bass, guitar, and timbales. 
Like that absolutely. Perfectly, absolutely. You know, a perfectly authentic experience. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's always the thing that I hope, you know, comes across and us, the way we teach the songs is it's like, yeah, we're trying to do this so that you can play this with your five piece and we're trying to educate and teach. You know, I actually had a, we did a survey a while back and we were asking people what parts of our videos they use. And, you know, because we've got the music videos and then we have all the practice loops and then we actually have the teaching. And, you know, mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time on the teaching portion, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, and, and for me as a guitarist, like we set it up in a way that I set it up for myself that like I could skip all the teaching and just look at the loops or just check out the tabs or whatever. Just that's how I was thinking about it. But I was like, but I, I've got enough students that it's like, man, we really, we really need to do some teaching. But I definitely had a moment of, man, I really hope that people are looking at this, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. cause like as other things, <laughs> as other things were coming out, it was like, man, you know, if all anybody wants to look at is the music video and, you know, and the, that like, then we're, we're in trouble because other people are doing that, but we really try and separate ourselves by teaching. And it was amazing to me how, like, I mean, if you looked at the stats on the survey, which is like, I forget how many people were in it, but it was over a thousand. It was like the, the amount of people that looked at the teaching was way past like everything else, which is the opposite of what I thought. But when you think about, but when you think about what that does and who you're teaching, it's like, yeah, you're teaching people that, that needs some help. That's what we do. And we don't shame them about it and make them feel bad because they're not passionate. It's more about, you know, kind of, kind of just doing, doing your best wherever your best is at. So absolutely. And the funny thing is that's how I learned how to play my instrument is through picking up little bits and pieces along the way. And if you can learn the parts for a bunch of songs, Next thing you know, you really are a proficient player. It's it's pretty awesome because every song has got a different bass player who's playing his favorite licks, and you collect those all together in your back pocket, and all of a sudden you've got a, a big repertoire of stuff you can play. Well, cool, man. What a good day. What do we have now? Do we have any time for some member mail? Hit it. Today's member mail comes to us from Shanae. Hey, guys. I love the podcast. I'm a volunteer worship leader, and every year we always kind of do the same thing with Christmas. We do a couple Christmas songs and a couple worship songs. They don't always feel like they match. Do you guys have any ideas on how to put together a worship set for Christmas? Wow, that is interesting. <laughs> I <laughs> wow. mean, I've, been a, I've run the gambit of all those things. Um, my favorite thing usually is to have a, se- a segment of the service that becomes a hymn or like a Christmas song section. And that either can come before or after worship, but it, it has its own little place. Uh, you know, maybe in, in between or after the message or b- right at the beginning of the service, you do the Christmas songs and then the pastor preaches and then you go res- have a response of worship time, which is completely then a different set. Um, those are my favorite where it, where it has its own space because you can change the lighting of the place. You can put a few candles up. You can do a really cool thing for the Christmas songs and then they, they become their own thing. And then you can, you know, have the, have the preaching after that. And then jump into a time of response, maybe three songs at the end or two songs of worship that just are a response to what was shared in the message. That that would be my favorite. What are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, that's that's a great thought. I mean, there's nothing more difficult than trying to take trying to take a when my pastor just says, Hey, just throw in a couple Christmas songs into the worship set. Like, God rest you merry gentlemen is not a worship song. And it doesn't no. make sense to go from that to like a, a song that's more vertical or, you know, like it just, yeah. it drives me crazy. So actually this year, um, I've done kind of what you were talking about. I think that works great. Um, this year I'm trying it a little bit different. I'm really trying, I pushed pretty hard and some people might end up hating me for this, but I pushed really hard to really focus on Advent. 
And traditionally, cool. traditionally in the church, you actually don't sing Christmas songs till Christmas, um, mm-hmm. because you know you spend that time in Advent, you spend that time waiting and kind of focusing on the anticipation of the of the coming of Christ, and and each week has its own its own uh, like focus. And so this year, what I'm trying to do, and Shanae, I'll let you know how it works later. We'll see how it goes. But I'm trying to be really intentional about Advent and bringing in songs that follow the themes of Advent, um, that have some Christmas imagery in them, without going full on Christmas songs until we're going to do it on Christmas, or I guess it's the Sunday before. I guess Christmas is Christmas on a Monday this year. It's on a Monday. Right. I think Christmas Eve is on a Monday. Okay. So it's kind of weird. So we're just meeting on Sunday. So that Sunday we're going to do like a big Christmas service. And so then I'm going to kind of pull out all the stops and do all the Christmas songs. And my hope is that by taking the time to be quiet and still take the time to listen, um, I'm trying to, for some of the songs or some of the, uh, the gatherings, I'm actually trying to write a song that's specific to that. Um, I've got one so far. I don't well know. done. We'll see if I that's can, awesome. we'll see if I can pull off four, but you know, but then also taking, you know, doing some readings that are about, uh, for example, like the first week is, is about um, the God's arrival. And it talks about, like church traditionally talks about three arrivals. There's the arrival of Christ as a baby. There's the arrival of Christ every day in our lives. And there's the arrival of Christ, you know, when he when he returns. And so I'm kind of focusing on, on songs that are about God being present in our everyday. So that's, so Very it has cool. kind of like a Christmas imagery. It's going to have some readings around it. Same thing, peace. We're going to mainly be talking about peacemakers, you know, and what is it? take to be a peacemaker and let let this time kind of really focus on on waiting on on what does god want to speak to us amidst all the mess so very cool that sounds awesome man we'll see how it goes because i've also gotten to like so jason i'm gonna do some christmas songs this year (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll see see it just reminds me of reminds me of a friend told me about a lady at a funeral this could be urban legend but he he was saying at a funeral there a lady was playing on the organ and you could hear she was playing like some hymns and whatever and then he realized she was playing home on the range at one point he's like what is she (laughs) she was just mindful mindlessly playing and they're like imagine a response time of worship like, yes, Lord, we want to be those antelope for you, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> well, I, I don't plan on bringing home on the range. <laughs> okay, good. It's not even a Christmas song, is it? <laughs> I no. That's like a cowboy song. I don't know. <laughs> it's all the same to me. Cool. Well, awesome, man. That was great. Yeah, well, very cool. Well, uh, if you would like to have some questions answered, you can hit us up on member mail. You can either email us, support at worshipartistry.com, or you can hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash worshipartistry. Uh, we see all those. You can also, we also have a member mail post on our, uh, on worshipartistry.com in the green room. So if you just search member mail, there's one dedicated just to member mail questions. So there's a lot of ways that you can reach out to us. If you want to learn some Christmas songs, some great, Paul Balazs has some great ones. Hillsong's got some great ones there. Uh, there's some great fits in there. In fact, this week releasing the song uh, Here Comes Heaven by Elevation Worship, which is a great combination of worship slash Christmas. Um, we've got a bunch of those songs over there for Worship Artistry. You can sign up for a free account, try out any three songs that you want, get all the 101 lessons, and uh, and, and hopefully it'll kind of help you through this Christmas season. Um, Daniel, we'll see you next week. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it.